Welcome to When I Was Your Age, a podcast where we explore themes such as deconstruction, anti-racism, and justice from the lens of authors, speakers, and activists who explain what they wish they knew when they were our age. On today's episode of When I Was Your Age, we are privileged to have Dr. Holly Oxhander. She's currently the Associate Dean for Research and Faculty Development at Baylor's School of Social Work, and she also studies the intersection of faith and mental health and is particularly interested in mental health care providers' ways of ethically integrating clients' religion and spirituality into treatment. In addition, she also co-hosts the CXMH podcast, which is the Christian Mental Health Podcast. You can find her on any social media at Holly Oxhandler, and you can learn more about her work at hollyoxhandler.com. I'm so excited for you to get to hear our conversation. She has been one of my greatest mentors during my time at Baylor, so let's just jump right in. Okay, so the first question I have for you is what do you currently find yourself like spending your time on in your current stage of life? Mm, That's a good question. Um, In this current stage of life, there um, is a lot of juggling I'm finding myself navigating between various roles in terms of... um, you know, being a mom and a wife and um, being an associate dean and navigating my research and, um, you know, teaching and tending and caring for uh, students and colleagues and staff that I adore getting to work with and um, friendships. Yeah, I feel like at this stage of life, a lot of time is juggling these different hats that I am engaged in. but also trying to unlearn and uh, heal from a lot of things that I had navigated earlier in my life, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. It's mm-hmm. vague enough, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, learning to unlearn and, and heal, heal some things too. Can you like talk a little bit more about the unlearning? Like maybe just give a little bit of background around your like I don't know if it's specific to like faith um but Mm. just um your journey and then if there was like a shift like was there any Mm -hmm. like pivotal moment where you're like hmm oh yeah something's not right here (laughs) yes yeah yeah so um as far as like my faith journey and kind of what all has gone on with that. Um, so I grew up in um, upstate New York and um, had attended a Catholic school my whole upbringing and even into my first semester of college. Um, there's a lot of ways in which I'm really grateful for the structure and the rhythms and some of the practices and the ways in which uh, I had the opportunity to learn a lot about my faith growing up. Um, but when I was in fourth grade, um, my parents had started the process of getting a divorce and 
Um, at that time, my sister and I, we were the only two kids in the Catholic school that we were at whose parents were getting a divorce. Um, and so navigating, you know, bringing backpacks with clothes and, you know, overnight supplies and bringing that to school alongside with, you know, the school stuff as a 10 year old, um, was really tricky. And then on top of that, you know, learning in religion class messages around like, if you get a divorce, then you're going to hell. I mean, Mm. those were messages that I picked up and heard growing up. And, um, there was a sense of loneliness that because my sister and I were the only two in the school who were navigating that. Um, and so my, I feel like my, my deconstruction around my faith had started really young Mm. early on. And I remember going to, you know, priests and being like, Hey, how do I uphold some of these commandments when it's not safe at home for me with some of these, like my parents, like the divorce is going to be good in our family situation because um, it's going to protect my sister and my mom and I um, in a lot of ways. And so trying to think through that and finding the fractures in my faith system early on really, really started to shake me. Um, And not only in thinking about, um, you know, how do I uphold, you know, the fifth commandment, honor thy mother and thy father when, when I couldn't do that with one of my parents. Um, it also helped me to start to deconstruct my image of, of God as father in some ways. And, mm. and I say that because I think it, it, there was a certain time where um, I really struggled personally with seeing God as a father figure because of what I had grown up with. And so at that point, faith remained important to me, but it began to shift into more of a curiosity and more of a, how can I have a relationship with this man named Jesus, um, who is a fellow human being and apparently loved me unconditionally. Um, so it kind of shifted into, into developing a relationship with Jesus within this Catholic structure. Um, when I went to college, in upstate New York, um, I attended St. Bonaventure University, which is a Franciscan university. And that allowed me to begin learning about contemplative practices and to see um, what faith could look like outside of some of the structures and systems that I had grown up mm-hmm. seeing. Um, so that was that was all interesting. Um, and then I moved to Texas, which I know we were just talking about, you know, <laughs> kind of what it, it's just different. <laughs> Yes, it is. It's so different. It was very different. There was a very big, for me, there it felt like there was a big culture shock um, around religion because it was so much more of a personal and quiet thing um, where I grew up and less of about a production or um, just really big, I don't know, performances. Um, and I certainly see there is value in communal worship and communal gathering that is important and in ways in which we can do that are, are important, but it just looks so different mm-hmm. down here than, than what it looked like, um, growing up in the North. So, um, the other piece when I first moved to Texas, so this was, again, this was, you know, I had spent one semester at St. Bonaventure. I moved to Texas. I was 18, just about to turn 19, 
Um, and when I had moved to Texas, the man that my mom married, um, he was Buddhist. And the rest of my family actually was agnostic at this point. My hmm. mom, my sister, my brothers, um, in fact, one or two of them actually identify as atheists. But my my uh, my stepdad, who is actually now my adopted dad, he adopted me a few years after I had moved to Texas. Mm. Um, so he identified as Buddhist. And so we would spend hours talking with one another about faith and about different religions. And I would ask him about what certain things meant to him. And, um, you know, and he would ask me about my journey and, um, and the ability to begin to see how love is just woven across these various world traditions, um, these religious traditions, it really sparked even more curiosity in me to start doing this deep dive into learning about as many faith traditions as I could. And so, you know, when I moved to Texas, I was 18. All we had was like AOL Instant Messenger <laughs> in my space. <laughs> So I didn't really have, you know, a lot of friends my age to connect with at that time. And, um, you know, I was living with my parents in Texas. And um, and so it gave me some solitude to be able to deep dive into some of these different traditions mm -hmm. and start to appreciate the beauty within the diversity um, across these faith traditions. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's a little bit about kind of the backstory about my faith. I don't know. Up until that point, I don't know if you want me to keep going yeah. or no, you, Yeah, you can keep going. Like, do you, was there ever, like, you talked about, like, unlearning a little bit. Yes. And so yes. I feel like at, at this point, many of my peers are, mm. if they would have just stopped, like, it would probably, I don't know, just from what I'm hearing, just, like, just collecting things that they're hearing but not like mm -hmm. picking them up and holding them and being like is this good or not they're just if it's told to them from like especially like a spiritual authority they're like yeah i'm here for it and you take it yeah there's i feel like there's value in in not well i don't think doubt's the right word but just not cynicism, but just, like, mm, making sure you know what you believe. And so, would, would you say that that was, like, later on in life for you? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's been a continual journey for me. Um, but I think I do agree with what you're saying in terms of, like, when you have your faith system, like, you do have to critically be thinking about this. Right, and, yeah. And at some point, that faith system it may work. It may just keep working for a lot of people. It does keep working, but it mm -hmm. doesn't for everyone. And right. what we know about, um, Fowler stages of faith is that usually around, um, kind of that early twenties ish, mid twenties age, you really start to like some of the things they just break apart. They don't work anymore. Like you, you've experienced life in a certain way that, um, that what worked at one point, it just doesn't because you bumped up against experiences or interactions or things that, that just don't, they just don't work. So, um, so I think some of that happened much earlier, kind of like I mentioned when I was 
much younger. Mm -hmm. I mean, starting to question those things and coming to priests, like, you know, is God going to send me to hell because I'm not abiding by this commandment or, or whatever. Um, it was rough. Um, but I start, I needed some of those things to start unpacking Mm-hmm. for me to start repackaging or understanding my relationship with the divine in a way that mm. um, rings true with the image of God within me as the image of God is in every single one of us. Um, so I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel like there are still some messages that pop up and from time to time that perhaps mm-hmm. I just didn't expect were still buried in there that right. have called me to take out and look at and to question and think through and critically appraise and be like, Oh, what do I think about this? And, you know, does it still fit? Maybe it does. Maybe. And if it does, then it does. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. But, mm-hmm. um, or how can I understand this a new way, in a new way? shouldn't doubt like maybe not doubt but man I think doubt is part of the process right I think that the opposite of faith is not doubt but Mm. it is certainty and if we if we (laughs) white knuckle thinking like this is the way through Mm. this or this is you know the and we don't leave some room for God to be bigger than us then I think we're gonna miss out on seeing how God moves through us and through those around us yeah. And teaches us and yeah. deconstructs things and, you know, and shows us like, actually, I want you to learn more. I want you to see more of who I am and what mm. I have to, to teach you. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. I don't know no, if it does. That's but... so good. That's so good. <laughs> do you, do you feel like there was ever a time where there, there was a, you were in a space that didn't align with what, you were believing or valuing and if so like what would you say to somebody who's trying to think about either leaving the space or staying in the space and like coping with the loss if you do leave that's a loaded question yeah. you can take no, it however great. you want no, no 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 I love it I love it I think that's a great question um and I think that's one of those things that that's that's a lifelong like there are going to be things that I see and wake up to and become more aware of and have to wrestle with my integrity and Mm -hmm. how I like what I think about that and what I feel comfortable um just seeing and to what degree I speak out or say something or how I go about doing that or pushing against it or whatever I think that that's that's the lifelong journey is staying grounded within our integrity as we wake up to and see those things. Mm-hmm. So yes, I have had those moments. Um I know that I had a mo I I mean there was one stage um earlier, I mean obviously when I was younger as I was wrestling with my Catholic upbringing um which again I really I do want to say there was a lot of good that from that upbringing that I I really right. am grateful for right. and I've needed to wrestle through some other stuff with it, but that, um, I think coming down to Texas and seeing some of the really large faith communities that, um, say one thing and do other things, particularly around like how they use finances or how they, um, 
minister or serve those in the community, how they really meet the needs of the least of these, those who really need support. And um, yeah, I think that was really hard first moving to Texas and seeing that. Um, I think as I was going through my social work training, that brought so many other layers of mm. waking up and seeing, you know, what is social justice and what role does the church or what role does, you know, do faith communities have in mm-hmm. navigating social justice and how, how do those two areas, um, you know, come together to actually bring healing to the world instead of an agenda? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so so th- I think there's been that. And then I think the most recent one, I would say, that was probably one of the most painful ones for me. And I'm sure I'm sure there are gonna be more along the way, but um <laughs> but for my family and I, when we moved, um when we had first moved to Waco, we um, had joined a, a church and we found some really wonderful friends at this church and we loved them dearly and we had a great life group and um, and I'm so thankful the ways that that they helped me grow they helped me move onto this path of sobriety and um, they you know watched my kids grow their kids played with my kids it just was a it, we had a great group but I kind of like saw on the side some things I wasn't okay with, but it wasn't right in my face, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. I saw it and I was like, I'm not okay with that, but I believe the people who are telling me that things are going to change. And mm-hmm. then I, and I saw some of the things that certain leaders within that church were saying and doing that really did, really did make me feel like, okay, we're moving in this direction. Clearly we're moving in this. Right. And then that didn't happen. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, and then what we saw is that that person, um, left and for very good reason, you know, they needed to take a break. And during that time that, that leader, while that leader was on break, um, the, church that we were connected with had really only one demographic preaching over and over. And it was hard because I was looking at my two children and I was like, I've got a son and a daughter and I don't understand how I can look to them and say, one of you is worth sharing God's word and the other one isn't. Hmm. And that was, as a mom, that was really hard to wrestle with and to wake up to. And it's not just about gender, but with so many other layers of intersectionality right. that were not shown the respect in terms of the image of God that they bear yeah. and can teach us. Mm. And so, um, so anyways, that was a long journey in terms of once I woke up to that, it was really hard to unsee it. My, It was to the point where I was like crying on the drive to church because I couldn't even... I couldn't even like imagine sitting in church and hearing another sermon that doesn't um, 
that that's not respectful to various groups, to various experiences, to various individuals' um, illnesses, or or whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my daughter and I started attending another church. My husband and my son they kept attending because that was the only way that we could stay connected with our life group. Um, and anyways, and long story short. Um, we ended up leaving, but it took like six months and it was like six months of like me and my daughter going to one church and my husband and son going to another church. And I remember the messaging and people being like, well, aren't you worried about your marriage or what about your kids? And like, you're taking them away from their friends. Um, but that was one of those hard walks of paying attention to my integrity and like, no, but, but this is not okay. And I can't keep quieting the inner voice inside that's telling me this is not okay to appease a system wow. I can't do it anymore Ooh. yeah yeah so that I mean I feel like that was the most recent and painful um and it's and it's again it's it's shooting because it's like I knew I saw it tangentially but I didn't it wasn't I mean but it was one thing when like you have one faith leader who speaks every single week and so there's no rotation and then when they're gone and there's a constant rotation of new faces but they all look the same (laughs) that was really painful Mm. yeah yeah so this is an entry for my journal from um early 2008 um I don't want to continue to hurt myself for the benefit of others. I don't want to repeatedly put myself in the face of pain by continuing to trust in others when I can't even gain the ability to trust myself. I deserve my own trust more than anyone in this whole wide world. I deserve to love myself wholeheartedly. I deserve to care for myself. I deserve some self-respect and nobody else except for Christ can come close to that, which is exactly what I've done. The Bible tells us to love others unconditionally, but to love others as we love ourselves. So many, myself included, take that and think it's just about loving others. Life is about just that, but how easy is it to forget that as we love ourselves, if the love for ourselves is dwindling or becoming less and less, then the scale is tipped. More love is placed on one side for others, and due to that and the mortal inability to truly have an unending supply of love the way Christ did and forever does, weighs down one side, fills it with love until there's no room left. And where does that ultimately leave us? With our feet way off of the ground, floating above, just dying for God to bless us with love, to show us his love for us and grant us the opportunity to learn how to use this love, to cherish it, and to ultimately balance the scale. It feels so good to give to others, but when it takes so much out of you that all that's left is guilt and pain from not being able to give even the tiniest bit more, it continues to dig through you and leave you even emptier than before because we're not able to hold on to even a bit of the love God gives us every single day. I'm not saying it's best to hoard it, just give it an opportunity to grow within you and grow from it. My depression has hit such a hard spot lately. My heart has been broken by my friend, 
multiple times as she's canceled plans, broken promises, and left me while I continue to be there for her. Corey, who's my now husband, has done nothing but love me, but I feel as though I cannot reciprocate that love. I'm happy with him, but I'm not happy with me, and then ultimately not with him. It's become an ongoing cycle, as has so much of the major male figures in my life. And now I can't do a single thing but pull the e-brake. I need to be alone. I don't want to be, especially when I have someone just waiting for me, but I know in my mind, not yet necessarily in my heart, that this is what's needed to be done. I just hope and pray that God can heal these wounds, that the poison of guilt, suffering, shame, and fear have eaten away at. God, please open up my heart to you. Allow me to move on and be built back up in a way that will better allow me to serve as a vessel to do your will with my life. I love you. Love me. Yeah. So. So I feel like it's difficult. I kind of went through a, a similar situation, um, and it took me, like, I think probably a year of, like, okay, mm. I know I'm in this space, but, like, I'm not actually. I'm here, like, fighting the power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm, right. I'm, uh, yes. I'm, like, yes. I'm an insider so that I can, like, change it from within, and yes. then I'm going to go. And so that's what kind of kept me for a long time because I, Mm -hmm. I think I probably like, I know I did feel like it was my responsibility because I didn't Mm -hmm. see anybody else doing it. I was like, if I don't do it, no one will. But like, that's just going to exhaust me in the end. And that's what happened. And so I think that even though leaving was really freeing for me and it gave me like a lot of my life back and a lot of my voice back because I I think when I was in that space and I was the only one of the few people speaking out about things that nobody else was speaking out against Mm -hmm. it it can make you feel crazy a little bit yes it can make you feel alone and that's why yeah like I kind of cling to uh, <laughs> I kind of cling no, no, to, just, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, social media has honestly been a, an anchor for me in terms of being able to find people who think mm-hmm. that what I think is a little fishy and a little bit, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on here. They also feel that way, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one mm-hmm. who thinks that these people have the same amount of worth as these people and so on and so forth and so I think that well well at first it was really freeing and I felt like a lot of weight like lift off my shoulders at the same time like I also stayed because those people were my friends and that was my whole life and so I think I probably still haven't even really grieved that loss. Mm. Um, and so I guess um, what I'm asking <laughs> is, like, how do you hold, like, both emotions? Mm. I mean, I live a lot of my life oh, in, like, the gosh. liminal space where I got to mm. hold both. But that one, I don't know. That one hits different. Just, like, 
where you're finally you finally feel freedom but you're also experiencing a lot of loss yes that's uh, i i make so much of what you just said i'm so glad you said it <laughs> and then landing on that question i want to affirm that i i remember feeling the exact same way as you just named in terms of thinking like but i have to be here to change i have mm-hmm. to be the one to show them like this isn't okay like how much is god going to be grieving over the fact that other images of God are silenced mm. in this way. Wow. Like, like, I don't want to be <laughs> I'm <on> confused. <laughs> well, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to look, I don't want to meet God at the end of my life and say that I was part of silencing various images of God. I just, and I know that I am not perfect at this. I know that I have way more, like, I love what Caitlin Curtis says, that there's so much waking to do. Like, I totally agree with that. There is so much more waking to do, but when I know something, I can't unknow it or unsee it. Mm -hmm. And I remember that feeling of thinking like, I have to be the one I met with some of the other faith leaders at that church and had coffee with them and asked them, you know, what do you think about these things? What's the direction? One of them tossed a Bible verse at me. And the other one um, had said, well, if, if we do that, then people will walk out. So, um, and the, and specifically the conversation was around women, mm. women preaching. So, mm. um, so anyways, all that to say, um, I remember thinking I've got to keep fighting. And then at some point there is a, there's a self-care that piece that has to kick in and say, Oh daughter, like you don't have to keep fighting. This isn't your walk. Mm. You did your part. You need to heal and you need to take care of you and, um, and give your time and energy to the things that are worth your time and energy right now. So, so that helped, I think in terms of getting out and I think going to your other question around, how do you sit in that, liminal space in between with the grief but also like you know like grieving that loss but also like sticking to with your integrity and honoring your integrity um I think that earlier on maybe when I was your age I probably would not have done as good of a job in navigating that and I don't I shouldn't say not as good of a job I think it would have been a lot harder for me because you know, prior to 25, like your frontal lobe is still developing. You're still, you know, your brain is still developing at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I think I would have done the best of my ability. I still think I'm doing the best to my ability, but I think that it really hasn't been until my early thirties until probably more recently where I start understanding and realizing like I, I'm, I'm worth coming home to myself is worth the risk of um stepping out Mm. and I can grieve the loss of those friendships because I stayed true to me and I can I can say goodbye to those groups and I can mourn that that they are continuing to make the decisions that they are continuing because I can trust that there is something beyond me like I'm doing my part to the best of my ability and I can trust it's enough Mm. and I don't have to um I don't have to play God in fixing everything all the time does that make sense yeah no I think I think that's so true like a big element of it 
for me was I so want like I don't know if stability or control or whatever but like trusting that I just I have to let I have to trust that somebody else has got it that it's not just me that somebody else is holding that space um and I think that when we when we don't listen to our inner knowing we're being mm-hmm. we're like being disloyal to ourselves i don't know have you read um mm-hmm. untamed by glenn yes! doyle yet i'm almost done with it okay yes. <laughs> i Gosh, read it I, yes i i just finished it and i i love how she talks about like i think is it confidence or or something like that where she it's like being loyal to yourself and mm-hmm. when I think, where was I going with this? Basically, like, when I, the times that I haven't been loyal to myself and the times that, like, I've just kind of ignored that gut feeling have been the worst. And it's like, why don't we trust ourselves when, if ourselves are, like, inherently good? I think it, (laughs) I think it's just like, I think, ooh, I'm really having a whole revolution, but I really think (laughs) it's just because I think that I still have a lot of unlearning to do around the idea that, like, I am good. Yeah. And I am, I, therefore I can trust myself. That's right. Because the divine is in me. And that goes for everybody else. But I think that when, like, mmm we grow up with ideas that were inherently bad or sinful or dirty Mm -hmm. or not worthy because of what we've done then Mm -hmm. that that is like so ingrained in that in at least my faith upbringing that like we're bad so we need something to make us good but like that's right and we've got to hustle for it we got to hustle really hard for it too. Yes. It's not something that we just were inherently born with. Like you said, we've, we've got to work really, really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And then it just ends up these layers of shame that we have to like learn to peel off as we age. I feel like that's like the unlearning. Yes. I have Mm. had to do unlearning, (laughs) but I've also had to do a lot of like peeling back each of those layers of shame and saying like, I am only worth love and belonging if blank or I am only worth um well yeah just love period like but that also speaks to a lot of my Enneagram type two stuff (laughs) is coming out there but (laughs) yeah but that needing to hustle for the love and um thinking that I'm not enough as I am it's it's been hard and honestly Meg I I feel like a lot of I mean some of the unlearning has been through um, just experiences and staying present through the experiences. Some of it's been waking up to the ways that I numb that I just, um, wasn't really aware of before I would, you know, but just ways in which I numb, like, you know, Oh, it was a hard day. I'm going to have a glass of wine. Cause that's self care. But at some point, like having a glass of wine, is just a way to numb that you had a hard day instead of sitting there and thinking, why did I have a hard day? Hmm. What is it that I need to pay attention to or whatever? Um, but then also the other piece 
has been working on this book that I'm writing right now. So much of the unlearning has been sitting in this chair next to me right now that's um, just been typing through it and seeing what bubbles up and things will surface that I am like, I haven't thought about that in decades. Wow. And yeah, so mm. yeah, it's a lot of unlearning and peeling back the shame um, to get back to the root essence of who we were created to be and who's, you know, and that we do, we do bear the image of God within us as does every single other human being on this planet. Mm. I mean, all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. That's so good. Oh, I think that like, I'll just be, I don't know. It's so random, but all of a sudden I'll like, I think I might be a five <laughs> side note. I think I might be a five just cause I'm in my head so often. <laughs> um, and so I'll just be thinking and all of a sudden like a memory or something will pop up and I'm like, Oh my goodness. That was a time where like I covered my true self for the sake mm. of whatever others, my own appearance, safety. Mm. And I think sometimes like, we we do it to protect ourselves but at the same time like when I think about those then I'm like but how do I like uncover like little Meg because <laughs> yeah. I can think of yeah, like yeah, yeah. so many like random memories where I was like why did I do that like I mm-hmm. especially like I've been just recently for one example would just be like writing um when I was little like, I used to write all the time, and, like, all my teachers would always be like, Meg, you should be a writer when you grow up, and, Aww. like, I remember in third grade, like, I won, like, a little writing competition at my school, and it, like, got mm. published in, like, some random thing that I don't even know amazing. where it is now, but at some That's point, awesome. it was probably, like, middle school, because middle school is when everything just is, like... <laughs> everything everything died it's just gone (laughs) so in middle school they're like creative writing who we have to write in mla and we only write science reports and i think when that happened like i started not liking writing anymore and not until just like recently have i realized like oh i like to write and so like that's like Mm -hmm. obviously not as deep as like some faith core belief but at the same time like Mm -hmm. it is like a part of who I am and something I like to do in a way Mm -hmm. that I can like release my energy because otherwise I feel like I should be Mm -hmm. mad all the time Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think I think you're right when you say that life is a lot of it is about just peeling back those those layers yeah and trusting that we don't have to peel them all back all at once that's Mm. the other thing I think we need to be patient and I think when I was younger I was really wanting to peel it all back at once to be able to just be like I get it now like it's I've healed all the things but as time has gone on it's like, no, 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 dear one, you have more healing to do, more layers to peel back. Right. And I'm not in control of the peeling back the layers. Like I can do my part and show up. I can, 
you know, do my work around sitting down and writing or journaling or show up to spiritual direction appointments or show up to my therapist's office. But I can do my part. But some of this is a higher power that has to do some of this work within me that Mm -hmm. is out of my control. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. When I think about it and just the work that I've done in probably just the last two years, I think that a lot of it I don't know if I would have done it if it was my choice like Mm -hmm. because it Mm -hmm. I see all these other people just like going to their sorority events and just like Mm -hmm. like not even just I feel like they're just like out to lunch sometimes and I'm just like hey (laughs) can I get on that like how do I get there Um, because for me I feel like I had to do the work in order to survive yeah. because yeah. because of my, like, layers of identity. I think that certain circumstances have happened where, like, the questions have just been, like, I've had to deal with them in order mm-hmm. to, like, survive. So where whatever it be, like, whether it's my um, faith identity or my um, cultural identity or even, like, figuring out I was queer. Like, a lot of that, like, was, like, it actually, like, went in that order. I, or I think it went, like, cultural and then, like, because I had, had experienced some, like, little moments of, like, I guess racism or ignorance and then that like Mm. well why isn't my church standing up for me (laughs) or saying anything Mm. about it um and then I thought I was I was like okay check check like I Mm. got in the bag I did all this work like let me can I just like exhale Mm. for one minute and then right after that it was like Meg I think you're queer (laughs) I was like no Mm. and that one I like that was like a moment where I kind of like pushed it down and like I was like, no, like, let's just, like, not because I didn't believe it, but just because I was tired, <laughs> and yeah. I didn't want to yeah. do work yeah. anymore. I had been doing that work for, like, two years, yes. and at that point, I was like, I'm tired. Can I just, like, not do, like, yeah, yeah. can I not develop for a second? <laughs> yeah, but can I just rest? Yeah. I, I think I didn't, I didn't really have a choice, obviously, um, and so I think, now I'm in a place where I'm like, is the rest of my life going to be like this? Where it's just like one thing after another? Or is it going to be like, can I have like a pause? Because I would really like mm. a little bit of a rest time. <laughs> I do think pauses will, I mean, just uh, not some of what, I, what I've heard you share. I know that those are not pieces that I've had to walk. And so I recognize and honor that. I do think there are moments where we can pause. But I think that, that in a lot of ways, that's we have to set the boundaries to be able to give ourselves that permission to pause at certain times, um, to do our best, to do as much as we can, but to know that we can't do it all and we can't fight all the time because mm. um, then we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to calcify in some ways and just become rigid and right. bitter. And I think staying soft through this hard work is important. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you men I mentioned Glennon Doyle, and you mentioned Caitlin mm-hmm. Curtis, but are there mm-hmm. any other like people or 
like people to follow or just other resources that you would recommend for people going through deconstruction at my age or or just whenever yeah I so I'm trying to think of some of the ones that were helpful for me along my journey I know right now I just set up on my website um that if you go and sign up for my newsletter I'll send I send a um like a summer reading list Mm. that has a bunch of books that I would recommend some of those I'll mention here but but I would recommend any listeners to um to sign up for that newsletter and you'll get a reading list with some great books that Mm -hmm. I think are helpful with that um but what I think has been helpful for me along the journey, Richard Rohr was really helpful early on. Yes. Everything Belongs is one of my favorite books. Yes. And I actually use it in my spirituality and social work class when I get to teach it. So um, so that's one of one that I definitely would recommend of Richard Rohr. Um, Felina Hewart has a book called Pilgrimage of a Soul that I would recommend. Um, she talks a lot she's she talks a lot from the perspective of a two and some of her awakening and the processes like just the different processes of like navigating waking up and kind of of ultimately ending up in some kind of um deep connection with god mm-hmm. um and what that looks like there's like seven stages to it i love it it's such a beautiful book um and it's not linear she talks how this process is not linear but felina hewitt's would be one i'd recommend what's it called um what's that what was the book called it's called pilgrimage of a soul okay it's really good so that one has been really helpful i'm looking at some of the other books that i've got right beside me here (laughs) i know we had um rachel held evans obviously her book is her all of her work is wonderful um room Poetry has actually been really helpful for me too in this journey. Um, I've, as I've loved to learn from other faith traditions, I mean, Rumi is a Sufi poet and um, he, he really deep dives into the mysticism around spirituality. Um, I, I love, I just love how he paints these pictures of understanding and experiencing life and falling in love with the beloved and I just love it so Rumi's work I'd recommend um I know Henry Nowen um I have his you are the beloved book that's actually put together by um Gabrielle Earnshaw but they're basically like bits of his books and it's like a daily reading Hmm. that has helped me in terms of beginning to remember my identity as the beloved, that my identity is not what I do. It's not what I say. It's not how I feel. It's not any of those things or what I think it is at the core of who I am, that I am beloved. Um, And that work has helped, been very helpful. Um, Obviously. Yeah. You mentioned Glennon Doyle. I love her stuff. (laughs) Her stuff was really, really good. uh, Especially at certain stages. I think, yeah, she her work is really good. Caitlin Curtis, obviously, is wonderful. <laughs> um, oh, I'm trying to think. I think there's one more that I would recommend. But I'm trying to remember the title of it. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. But I do know Brene's book was, like, her work has been helpful, too, in understanding shame. And not just shame in the ways that I experience it and, like, what it, you know, the layers of shame within myself, 
but ways in which, you know, as Richard Rohr tells us, any pain um, that we don't transform, we will transmit. And I think the same is true with shame, that if Mm. we are not um, aware of the ways in which shame is showing up in our lives, we're going to transmit it on to other people, including those we love. And so her work was really helpful with that. And then, oh, Morgan Harper Nichols. Oh, That's another one. Yes. Oh, I love Morgan's poetry. <laughs> she is so wonderful. So, so wonderful. I adore her. So. So good. My, yeah, so good. So that's a good handful. Yeah, that is but, a good handful. <laughs> yeah, it's a handful. I love to read, though. So. <laughs> Yeah, my husband, he's always, every time, like, an Amazon or a bookstore box comes in, he's like, seriously, like, I got you a Kindle so we could save space in our house, but. Right, yeah, there's just something about an actual it's book. Just one more. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, anyways. Okay, so my final question for you is, mm-hmm. if you could give any piece of advice to yourself when you were my age so like right out of college early 20s what would it be oh my gosh that's a really good question (laughs) so I so first I would say is it okay that I have a few things Mm, is that okay yes okay (laughs) so first I would say keep a journal because you have wisdom within you right now that Mm. you'll want to go back and learn from you're going to want to go back and learn from your younger self at some point so keep a journal that said I when you had asked me to do this I went back through and read through about five or six of my journals from around that time and I ended up in tears like in our closet like on our closet floor flipping through these just going back to um these yeah just these these phases of my life. Um, and so before I, I share kind of what my advice would be, there's a couple of things I'd say, but I do want to paint a picture of what I was doing at this age. So when I was about your age, what that looked like for me in this, in that stage was I was, um, taking about 18 hours of coursework. I was volunteering about eight hours a week as a research assistant, unpaid, just sitting in an office, entering in data into SVSS. Um, I was going to University of Houston, which was an hour drive from my home, and I went about three days a week. So that was six hours of driving just to and from school and then um, and volunteering. And then on top of it, I worked over 40 hours a week at Starbucks. And um, that was all what was going on at that time. Mm. And I was really busy, but I did have this dream to become a psychologist when my mom, you know, everything that was going on in my childhood, my mom got me into a therapist and I learned quickly, like that was the work I wanted to do is to be a therapist, but you know, things change (laughs) and that's okay. I'm just in a different branch of that sphere. Um, but I really picked up on those messages, those implicit messages that I am worthy if I do X, Y, and Z. And so I just hustled nonstop and I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. Nobody told me otherwise. Um, and I had a lot of residual trauma that I hadn't healed and was just kind of running from, to be honest. And um, I really wanted to do everything I could to make sure that my 
my family wouldn't experience or go through, my kids wouldn't go through the things that I went through as a kid. And so I really tried to, as best I could, try to control that and prevent that from happening. Um, and I don't think it was wise. I know at the same time that through that, even though I worked a lot, I began to wake up to some of my privilege, hmm. not only being white, but also being born in the US, being in a middle-class family. You know, we had some financial struggles, but generally we were pretty okay. I was educated. I had two parents for most of my childhood. Um, my health was pretty okay. Um, I was cisgender, I am cisgender, heterosexual. I'm in, I'm among the prominent faith tradition. So I, I woke up slowly to, to those layers of privilege. Um, but while I was waking up to them, I was trying to also be mindful and practice gratitude for the things that I did have. Um, because I realized a, not only that they weren't guaranteed, but what I found was that as I practiced gratitude for what I had, it be, it, it opened my heart to see the things that others didn't have. Hmm. And, um, and that includes everything from clothing to clean water and air, a safe community, love, a job, you know, living in the United States, um, which is imperfect, but you know, I'm safe generally right now. Um, I have access to health and mental health services, things like that. So I, I try to practice gratitude for those things. So anyways, all that to say, you know, when I think about my younger self, um, I really, and, and all that she was carrying and all the things that she was doing and all the ways that she neglected herself to care for others and serve and do and just on and on and on for others. Mm. I really wish I could go back to her and like cup her cheeks and just oh. <laughs> tell her like, you are loved exactly as you were created. Um, you don't need to hustle for your worth. Mm. That God sees you um, and sees the image of God within you as much as every single other person in this world. Um, and so it would just, it was really easy for me to see God in other people. I had a really hard time seeing it in myself. And so I wish I could go back to her and say, like, keep looking, keep digging. Like it's in there. Like, don't stop, look for it. Like it's in there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything to earn it. Just see that God is within you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I wish that I would have, I wish that I had also not seen my, this is one of those unlearned things. I had picked up the message that I'm just a vessel to do for others. And so it was really easy for me to just push my body past a healthy point of functioning. And I harmed, I really pushed and harmed my body, I think in that process. And mm -hmm. so I wish I could go back and say, no, you're worth eight hours of sleep. You're worth eating. You're worth, you know, eat, not eating myself, obviously. <laughs> like you're worth eating a meal. Right. Um, you're worth taking water breaks and taking breaks during the day. Mm. Don't push yourself past the, don't hurt yourself in the process of taking care of everybody else. Mm. Yeah. That's what I wish I would say to her. And I wish I could say it so gently to her because if I were yelling at her, she wouldn't hear me. She'd just get <laughs> pissed off and be like, go away. <laughs> I would have to say it and like hold her, like a big bear hug, hold her and just tell her like, I see you. I get it. This is hard, mm. but it's, 
it's worth it. It just keep taking care of you. So. Thanks for listening to this episode of When I Was Your Age. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Holly and her work, again, you can find her on any social media platform at Holly Oxhandler, or you can find her website and her blog, which includes those recommendations she mentioned in the episode, at hollyoxhandler.com. Additionally, if you're enjoying our podcast, we would love you could follow us on social media on both Twitter and Instagram at W-I-W-Y-A underscore podcast which basically just stands for when I was your age. So thanks again for tuning in and be sure to share with all your friends. Thanks again.